0: What will we find in today's Thursday thrillers here on the Mutual Audio Network? A few baffling mysteries? Perhaps a touch of murder? Let's find out.
1: The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance.
2: Previously on A Date With Death... So is this
3: the preacher's grave, the one we're going to dig up?
1: No, Sheriff. He's still alive. One, two, three, lift! Ah! Ah!
0: Just put it up by the podium. Well, come on. Let's get this box open and take a look.
1: No! Wait! Don't!
3: Was there anything else inside the coffin?
1: No body. We know that much. Well,
3: my dear, I hope you found what you needed in the sunny south.
1: Mr. President, I'll have something concrete for you by Monday. Glad to hear that.
3: Now, Put on some coffee. You have a formal evening at the British Embassy tonight.
1: The things I do for this
2: country. Based on the work of best-selling author Ace Collins, the Long Highway Players proudly present A Date with Death. Episode four, they are watching. Special Agent Helen Meeker has been asked by President Roosevelt to escort Corporal Nigel Andrews, a British war hero, at a formal party at the British Embassy in Washington.
4: Good evening, young lady. May I escort you in? Please, Please, arm. Please take my arms. arms. Please you arm? doing this fine evening.
1: Gentlemen, could you direct me to Corporal Nigel Andrews?
0: Oh, bother. Tut, tut. So be it, can't win them all, you know. I'm John Babcock of the Brighton Babcocks.
1: And I'm Helen Meeker of the official White House dating pool.
0: Welcome to the embassy, Miss Meeker. Do take my arm. Nigel, this young lady wishes to meet you. Your fortune, my loss. Enjoy the party, Miss Meeker.
5: You must be Miss Meeker. I've heard a great deal about you, but... No one mentioned how pretty you are.
1: Corporal Andrews! Did they make you practice that line for very long before tonight?
5: (laughs) Let's just say they wrote it for me and taught me how to deliver it properly. But it wasn't all a line. You are a devastatingly lovely woman.
1: Thank you. And I can honestly say it's nice to spend the evening with a man who can legitimately be called a hero.
5: Oh, I'm not so sure about that. I was just one of the blokes who was lucky enough to get back.
2: Isn't that every soldier's goal?
5: Well, I guess.
2: Excuse me, might we have some pictures? Please. Oh, wait, wait. Um, smile.
5: This yeah. way. Yeah. Take, Take his arm. Arm. No, over here. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. Oh, brother. Phew. I thought they were never going to give us any peace.
5: I know what you mean. Price of fame and all that, eh?
1: Let's step out on the patio for a few moments. That might give us a bit of peace and a chance to get to know each other.
5: Sounds perfect. Lead on. (laughs) Ah, much better than being in that stuffy room.
1: All set. So, do you know what this whole thrown together affair is all about?
5: Afraid not. I was touring the D.C. tourist sites this morning when I got the word. Must be something big, though. The Embassy staff has pulled out all the fine china. Still I wish I was somewhere else. Oh, but I still appreciate being with a beautiful woman like you.
1: Oh, no offense taken. I get it. This tore me away from something, too. But since you're not putting the moves on me, like those boys at the door did, I'm guessing you have a girl back home.
5: That I do. Becky's cute, kind of short, doesn't know much about posh shindigs like this one. But she's all I need and all I want.
1: Where did you meet her?
5: In grammar school. Her hair was done up in strawberry curls and she wore a fluffy blue dress. The first thing she said to me was, You're a mighty strange sort.
1: (laughs) I take it she wasn't impressed with you that day?
5: (laughs) Not at all wouldn't give me the time of day until we were in our teens. Then one night at a school party, we danced for the first time. And my heart has been dancing ever since.
1: Oh, that sounds wonderful, Nigel.
5: You know what's so special about Becky? You know, it's the way she... I'm, I'm sorry. It, it hurts a bit to talk about her. Why? This bloody war. It, it's killed my brother. It's killed my best friends. It wrecked the home I lived in as a child. It's destroyed some of the greatest buildings ever constructed in Europe. And it hasn't helped my relationship with Becky. Sometimes I think we should just give Hitler Europe and make peace.
1: Nigel, you can't be serious.
5: I can't see how France would care about Britain if the Nazis were leaving them alone. And who would have gotten upset if Russia had invaded Germany? We don't see peace, we fight. We kill innocents, bomb civilians. And there are men in this town, men in that room there, who love every moment of it. Men just like Reggie Pfister.
1: Fister? He was your friend, your company commander.
5: Oh, he loved war. War and women. Bragged about his conquests in both areas all the time. Oh, he was charming. Had plenty of courage. Every woman liked him. You would have too was to wrap himself in the flag and prove his manliness to anyone who watched.
1: Is that such a bad thing? Aren't those the kind of men we need right now?
5: I'll tell you what we need. We need people who realize that being with loved ones is a bloody sight more important than killing men who have their own loved ones waiting for them at home. Someone should tell Churchill that.
1: Well, you're working for him. Why don't you tell him?
5: (sighs) He won't listen. No one wants peace.
1: I do, Nigel. Millions of people do. But we can't just let Hitler take over Europe. That goes against everything our countries believe in, yours and mine.
0: Nigel, they're about to make the announcement. Can we have you come back inside, please?
5: Right away, Mr. Babcock. Right, well, let's go then.
6: All right, Nigel.
5: we supposed to sit at this table here. Here, Helen.
1: Such gallantry, pulling my chair out for me. Thank you.
5: There's the ambassador. Looks like the show's about to begin. Ladies and gentlemen.
0: Thank you. Distinguished guests and members of our military, on behalf of the king and the British government, as well as the entire Allied forces, I am here tonight to share a tale of one of the bravest men ever to wear the British colors. You have no doubt all read of the way Colonel Reggie Fister held off hundreds of German troops so that his men could escape back to England and share the intelligence they uncovered on their mission. One of those here tonight, Corporal Nigel Andrews, served with him on that secret mission in France. Tonight... I have additional news to share with you about our brave Colonel Fister, but there is a man far better suited for that duty than I. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present to you, alive and well Colonel Reggie Fister.
4: Good evening, my friends.
5: <laughs> oh, oh, no, no. My.
1: Yes sir Nigel Nigel are you all right
5: i I don't believe it
4: Thank you sir thank you
5: it's a privilege to make your acquaintance.
1: Nigel, for goodness sake, you haven't said a word since the colonel walked in.
5: I... I don't think I can say anything. I feel kind of numb all over.
4: Nigel, my boy, it's so
5: good to see you. Yes, sir, it's good to see you too. (laughs) Ha ha, you're looking good, lad. Thank you, sir. Well,
4: my... Goodness, this beautiful creature is beyond what I dreamed of when the Underground was nursing me back to health.
1: (laughs) Helen Meeker, Colonel.
4: Helen, that's Greek for torch or flame. Beauty like yours would likely set any man's heart aglow. If I survived everything I went through in France only to meet you, it would be more than enough.
1: I can only imagine the ordeal, sir.
4: Miss Meeker, is there a place we can go and get to know each other better?
1: Well, Colonel, I'm afraid I'm not too familiar with the embassy. This is only my second trip here. Nigel, do you know of a spot?
5: Uh, yes. There's a small study across the hall that's likely not being used right now.
4: Perfect. Nigel, why don't you lead the way? Do take my arm, my dear. Tonight makes being turned over to the Americans by the underground all the better.
1: Haven't you been back to England yet, Colonel?
4: Well, when I was rescued, they felt it best to debrief me here in the States. I'll head home when Nigel's delegation goes back. And suddenly, I have no problem with that delay. In fact, I hope it goes on for quite a long time. (laughs) Here we are. After you, Miss Mika.
1: Thank you. I'll just have a seat here on this couch.
4: Certainly. I'll take the other side of it. Nigel, you sit there.
5: Uh, Colonel, I don't understand how you escaped... When we took off, the woods were filled with Germans, and you were out in the open.
4: That is a story that is part miracle and part German arrogance, my boy. When I quit firing, they assumed I was dead, so I decided to do what you Americans, Helen, call play possum. The troops came up, and one man rolled me over. Then their commander ordered one of his men to find a local farmer to take care of the, uh, dead Britishers. I laid there without moving a muscle for at least a half hour.
1: That had to be torture. Not being able to breathe deeply or anything?
4: You don't know the half of it, my dear. Finally, some sleepy-headed old man showed up and the Nazis gave him some directions and moved off. Then the farmer left to get a shovel. I was all alone and I saw my chance. I got up and made my way to the house of one of the underground men who helped us with our mission.
5: And you were wounded.
4: I almost bled to death before I got there. Our contact patched me up the best he could and hid me away. I stayed there until after Christmas healing up. When more Germans were transferred into the area, the local resistance moved me to a hiding place just outside of Paris. After that, I was smuggled to Spain and finally given over to a group of merchant seamen. They got me on a ship bound for America. When I arrived in New York, I took the train straight to Washington and checked in with the embassy.
1: That's amazing, Colonel. Did the Nazis ever get close to capturing you?
4: Yes, a couple of times. Not to blow my own horn, but... I had to kill two Gestapo agents with my bare hands.
5: And when did you get to Washington?
4: Three weeks ago. I had my injuries checked out at Walter Reed Hospital, and then the embassy has had me in the briefings ever since. Hopefully what I saw will help us knock out some Jerry installations. When I get back to England, I'll be working for the High Command.
1: Well, that's quite an honor.
4: Yes. I'll be dealing with Monty and Ike on a regular basis.
1: Won't be long, and you'll know more about the war and Allied plans than even Roosevelt and Churchill.
4: Well, I doubt that. But I will be in a position to give the view of the soldier on the ground before we charge off into battles. Maybe that'll help us save a few chaps like Nigel here. If so, I'll have all the thanks I need. Now then, Helen, I do hope you'll make time in the next few weeks to show me some sights in this beautiful city. I've heard so much about Washington over the years and would love to have someone like you be my guide
1: we can work that out, Colonel. But only if it doesn't interfere with my work for the President.
4: You mean Mr. Roosevelt?
1: That's right. I'm his special assistant, and he has me on an important assignment right now. As a matter of fact, it's getting late. I need to check in with my partner before the night is over. So, if you'll excuse me, gentlemen? Yes,
5: of course.
4: I can trust Miss Miko. We will meet again and you can show me your city.
1: If time allows. Just call the White House if you want to be in touch. It was a lovely evening, Nigel. Thank you for your time, and I do hope you get back to Becky very soon. Good night, gentlemen, and welcome back from the dead, Colonel.
3: Hello, music fans. Gordon Lightfoot is one of the greatest folk rock artists of all time, and Carefree Highway Revisited celebrates and discusses his work song by song. Every episode, your host, that's me, Mike Messner, We'll examine one of Gordon's songs with the help of a special guest. Give us a listen and give us a follow wherever you get your listening matter. That's Carefree Highway Revisited, a proud member of the That's Not Canon podcast network. Hi, this is Ace Collins. I hope you're enjoying listening to the Long Highway Players production of my book, A Date with Death. If you'd like to find out more about the adventures of Helen Meeker, please check out all the novels that are a part of my In the President's Service series at my website. That's www.acecollins.com. And you can purchase a Date with Death or any of the other 19 books in this series at Amazon in both print and ebook formats. Once again, thanks for tuning in and happy reading and happy listening.
2: Ellen and her partner, Henry Reese, are continuing their investigation into Reverend Wilbur Shellmeyer, a minister who has confessed to crimes of treason and is awaiting his execution. The two agents have disguised themselves as American Red Cross operatives and are visiting the neighborhood where Shellmeyer's wife is living. So, how do I look?
3: Just like a real member of the Red Cross.
1: So do you. You ready to get some uh, donations?
3: I guess so. I still wish I could wear my Marine uniform.
1: These clothes will work better today. We don't want anyone who might be watching the Shellmeyer's house to know who we really are.
3: Uh, Just saying, this is not one of my favorite covers.
1: You take this side of the street, I'll take the far side. Knock on a few doors and say you're looking for donations. If they seem agreeable, ask if you can come in out of the cold to explain what the donations are going to, just like we planned. Then it'll seem normal when I gain entry to the Shellmeyers house, assuming I do.
3: Got it. Honk the horn when you've gotten what we came for.
1: Right. Uh, yes.
3: Good morning, ma'am. I'm from the American Red Cross. We're walking through the neighborhood here, seeking more people to give.
1: Okay, my turn. May I help you? How do you do? I'm with the Red Cross, and we're seeking donations to better serve our soldiers, both here and overseas. I'm sorry, we
6: don't have any extra money. This isn't even my home. My brother lent it to us.
1: I understand that, and I sympathize with you, but I've been on the streets most of the morning, and I'm really cold. Would you perhaps have a cup of coffee you could share with me? I'll be happy to pay for it.
6: All right. That's the least I can do. Come on in.
1: Thank you so much.
6: Come into the kitchen. I I have some coffee on the stove. Mrs.
1: Schallmeier? How did you know my name? I don't really need the coffee, and I'm not with the Red Cross. (laughs) I'm working with the FBI and the White House. I know about your husband and I don't believe he's guilty. You shouldn't be here. If they see you, they'll- They'll what?
6: Nothing. Now you need to go. Mrs. Schellmeyer. I'm absolutely certain your husband is not a spy. You shouldn't say such things. Please leave before they find out you're here.
1: Who are they?
6: I don't know. I've never met them face to face, but they told me that they're watching every move I make. How did they tell you? Phone calls and letters. And I know it's true. I can feel their eyes on me. They can hear what we're saying right now. They might even know what we're thinking. Mrs. Schallmeyer, what
1: does Zion mean? Oh, it's heaven. I know that, but your husband said it a few times in the prayer at the gravesite. What did he mean?
6: Yes, yes, he did. I don't know what he meant. He was grieving. He probably didn't know what he was saying.
1: What happened to your daughter?
6: We were on vacation. One morning, Ellen didn't come down for breakfast. I went up to check on her. She wasn't in her bed. Will went out to look for her. He was gone almost all day. When he came back, he told me she'd been swimming in the ocean, and a shark attacked her. Did you ever see her body? No. Will said I should because it was so mangled. He didn't want me to remember her that way. Did you
1: have... Any
6: idea that he was spying? No. And I still say he can't be a Nazi. He loves America. That's why we were on that vacation. What do you mean? Will had some kind of important news he wanted to share with a man who was with some government group. They'd gone to college together. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Will made me promise never to tell anyone. Can you tell me where this meeting was supposed to happen? I don't know. We went to Gulfport, Mississippi, so I guess somewhere near there. But Ellen died before the meeting happened. Who were the two men at the cemetery with you? They said they were from the funeral home in Gulfport. They took us to that place in Georgia. Did you get their names? No. They never talked to me, only to Will. What did they look like? They were probably in their 30s, well-dressed, pretty big. I remember thinking they looked like they could have been athletes big, muscular. One of them had an ear that looked kind of beaten up like a fighter's and he had a scar under his right, no, his left eye. What color was his hair? Dirty blonde. What about the other one? What did he look like? Well, he had a kind of a square jaw and a mole above his eye and when he reached out to grab Ellen's coffin, I saw some kind of tattoo on his left wrist. A tattoo? Of what? I'm sorry. I'm not sure. I could barely see it. It might have been an arrowhead. Thank you, Mrs. Schallmeyer. You've been a big help. Uh, What have I helped with? Making my husband look even more guilty? Or does the government think I'm a spy
1: too? No. I don't believe either one of you are guilty of that. And I'm going to do everything I can to prove that. Miss, uh... Meeker. Helen Meeker.
6: Miss Meeker. Will is going to die in a week. I hope you can move fast.
3: So, Helen, how'd your search go? You find anything that we're looking for?
1: I found Mrs. Schellmeyer. She believes her daughter is dead.
3: Did you tell her any different?
1: I couldn't get her hopes up. We aren't sure where her kid is or how she is, alive or dead.
3: Did she talk to you about her husband being a spy?
1: Yes, and she doesn't buy it. And she doesn't seem to know why he confessed, either. But she did say something that might point us in the right direction.
3: And what's that?
1: Henry, have you come across anything in Shellmeyer's logbook that indicates he was planning to meet someone in Gulfport?
3: No, and there's nothing in the book about anything that went on the whole week, either. He made these long, detailed notes on every other part of his life, but it... He didn't say anything about the trip. One of the days leading up to his arrest.
1: His wife told me he was meeting someone down there, an old college friend. He was going to give this guy some kind of information the US government would be interested in.
3: Well, he did mention some friends in the book. When we get back, I'll go through those names and see if any of them went to college with them or have a connection to Goldport.
1: It's about all we have to go on.
3: So, what well, were you able to find out about Reggie Fister the other night at the party?
1: Oh, not much.
3: Oh, well, come on. You must have picked up a few details. Give it to me like an agent would.
1: All right. He's interesting. Very smooth and charming. Got those English manners that most men on this side of the pond don't have. kind of guy a lot of girls could fall for.
3: Ah, uh, so you fell for him. It's that stupid accent, isn't it?
1: No. You asked me about him, and I gave you a report. That's all.
3: <laughs> he has you under his spell, Helen. Men in uniform always get attention.
1: Hey, take it easy. You already have my attention with the way you're driving.
3: I'm not trying to.
1: Henry! What's going on?
3: The brakes? They failed.
1: Try the emergency brake! Nothing. I'm
3: gonna have to take it off the road. Hang on, Helen! You all right?
1: I'm fine, I think.
3: Cover your face. I'm gonna kick out the rest of that windshield. We can get out that way. (laughs) Uh. 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 There. We can get out now. Uh. (gasps) Uh. Uh.
1: What happened, Henry?
3: I'd say you got us a bum car.
1: Virginia Schallmeyer was right. She said someone was watching her and could hear everything we were saying.
3: Uh, she's imagining things. Uh, this had to have Oh, been... yeah?
1: Take a look at the brake line and tell me what you see.
3: Wow. The line's been cut.
1: The emergency brake cable's been cut, too. I can see it from this side.
3: Who in the world would do that to a Red Cross sedan?
1: That house I was in. It must have been bugged.
3: Do do you think this was a warning? Or was somebody really-
1: Get down! (laughs) Well, Henry, does this
2: sound like a warning to you? A Date with Death is based on the Ace Collins novella series, In the President's Service. Our story was adapted for podcasts by Michael Messner, who also directed this production. Performers included Andrew Sargent, Art Shingler, Gary Klassen, Jennifer Francis, Lance Rodriguez, Laura Brent, Lindsay Morgan, Max Sullivan, Michael Tucker, Nancy Messner, Nicole Player, Riley Hunsaker, Rocky Jacobs, and Sean Small. Also appearing were the author and the director. Music by Alex Productions, Creative Commons. This is Rachel Miller. Thank you for listening.
3: This is Thursday Thrillers, audio with action on the Mutual Audio Network. Join us tomorrow on Mutual with Friday Follies, the the end-of-the-week collection of comedy cut-ups. You can subscribe to the full Mutual Audio Network feed for every day of audio drama that fits your fancy. Or find the Friday Follies feed in your favorite podcast players. Now that's a lot of F's. The Mutual
6: Audio Network.